Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. What's happening, Derek? Same old, same old, just hunkering down. It's uh, almost winter. There was a little bit of flurries this week. Yes. Nothing major. First snow I've seen of the year. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's all. I've seen some rain, some we freezing had some rain. Hail. Yeah, had some hail. hail. Yeah. We had that big windstorm on the weekend. Oh, that was it nuts. was brutal. That was, it was. There's trees down. People's fences are broken. People are talking, you know, they're sending me messages. Yeah, we've lost shingles and no power. And I looked out my back window. Oh, I better go pick up my barbecue <laughs> cover. <laughs> it flew two feet. <laughs> it did. It just, the wind got up underneath, yeah. flipped it off, and it laid it right yeah. next to it. So you had so many trees and houses around you, so you're pretty isolated. Well, the, between our house and the next house, it's, it, it circles. Yeah. So you can see the rain oh. actually going in a certain, like a yeah. little mini tornado sort of thing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't do much. But, um, yeah, I was just, wor- and it was going the, the way where that, that tree I've been worried about from our neighbors. Oh, If oh, it would have yeah. come down, it was blowing towards our neighbor's mm-hmm. house. So if it decided the day was going to be the day it, d- it decides to launch, Mm-hmm. It would have launched into my neighbor's house, not mine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. What I find neat is during these storms is, uh, is, uh, well, for one, like just the, you know, the trees in front of our house is just whipping back and yeah. forth. Oh yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, we've got a really steep roof and with, uh, an easterly, if the wind is going east, it's called a westerly wind or is east, east from the west. When it comes from the west. <laughs> When it comes from the west, so what, we I look st- like a sailor to you. <laughs> we have a steep <laughs> roof, and so it causes it, like these high and low pressures on the other side of the roof. Yeah, which is where our uh, our black pipe, our vent for the for the toilet system. So you go into the bathroom and you can see the water level in the toilet jumping up and down, yeah. up and down, up and down, up and down. It's like, whoa, what's going on? Here's <laughs> a snake coming down. <laughs> Something's crawling up this Something's pipe. Crawling up the pipe. <laughs> But it is pretty neat. Night and there's going to be an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty. It, I've seen it on a smaller level yeah. on other place I live. But the roof line is very almost like an A-frame house is the one I live in now, and you can see the difference in pressure as the winds cascade over the roof. It's like holy crap! Look at that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, a bit brutal. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, I know some people were saying forty four hours without power and yeah so uh, there's a couple of my co-workers haven't had power since sunday afternoon they just got it back this afternoon this morning wow. sometime yeah so north of coburg yeah so that whole area was yeah. out of power well i know bancroft and mm-hmm. everything up through yeah. up through that that whole swash yeah swash? you know trees are going to drop and swath <laughs> there's one of the guys was i heard him across the cubicle farm and he was talking about, uh, so, uh, neighbors, I could barely, he was laughing so hard. I could barely understand the story, but basically along the lines of, uh, a tree fell over, went on to the, uh, the telephone line, underground power line, but it's a telephone line. Anyways, there's uh, this fiasco of ladders and chopping and people falling off ladders and, and, you know, there's, there's still power going through the phone line. So like somebody got shocked and it's like, he just couldn't believe what was going on. Like two houses down from his house. <laughs> he was laughing. He could barely tell the stories. <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah, he used the word circus. He used yeah. the word circus. Yeah. <laughs> not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> 
Oh, um, yeah. Other than that, not much been going on. Yeah. It's Just been exciting. Getting, yeah. I've been mean, getting a bunch of stuff done around here because, you know, it's that time of year. Like you say, we got to <laughs> yeah. start putting stuff away for the summer and getting the hoses put away and the air conditioner cover. I got to remember to do that. I've got, I, I don't know if my garden hose is still attached and my pressure washer is in my shed. I got to put it in the basement. I got to do stuff. Gotta remember. I gotta write a note. I've been fighting with my wife about raking. Oh. And not raking. Because that's the thing now, right? Yeah. Don't rake wife... because you gotta leave leave it for the bugs the and the bugs birds and, and animals yeah. hide stuff under it that'll get them through the winter and zibidi zubbidi zibidi boo. So I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I watched David Suzuki on Nature yeah. Nature of Things, and he says, don't rake, and everybody else, don't rake, and so I'm not raking. All right, we're going to go out and rake. No, no, we're not, because the scientists are telling us, yeah. don't rake. I'm thinking the scientists are husbands, and, <laughs> 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 and they got this all figured out. Um, I went to check my backyard for fallen branches and trees, and I look back, it's like, well, nothing broke, but... All the leaves are gone. <laughs> yeah. We My had, neighbor has my leaves now. <laughs> well, our neighbor was raking the leaves and he had three or four bags when the skies opened up. Oh. So he ran into the house, leaving everything where it was, figuring when it stops, I'll come back out. And then I went out a little later and his bags of leaves were down the block. <laughs> Hopefully come garbage day, yeah. somebody else puts them out because they're not in his house yeah. anymore. <laughs> awesome. Oh, they're gone. Yeah. Hey, that's the way to get rid of it. See, that's what I say is like, they'll blow away. They'll end Eventually, up. yeah. The wind goes one direction. Yeah. So, you know what? Dude should have checked when he bought his house. <laughs> it's his fault. <laughs> it's his leaf collection now. <laughs> he shouldn't put up that new fence. But it stops uh, we, all my leaves. <laughs> we actually use a lot of the leaves on our front lawn. We use them to cover the gardens. Oh, okay. Right? So you just pile them up in the gardens and mm -hmm. it mats down sort of thing and yeah. and uh, whatnot. So that seems to, to work. Um yeah, it gets majority of it out, yeah. but like I say, we do keep some of it in the, and the big stuff in the backyard is from the apple and cherry trees and the oh, pear okay. tree and all that. We, we can get up all the garbage from, mm -hmm. you know, any apples that have fallen on the ground and rake up as many leftover cherry pits, which are pretty much gone by that yeah. point anyway. Um, and any pears that may have fallen and we missed. <laughs> um, yeah, we just, we put all those in a bag, but the yeah. majority of the leaves, yeah, we just leave them there. Mm -hmm. So... Eh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about this week? Water pollution. Oh. We're getting a little science-y. And this is something I, I was just, uh, Googling again. I swear, we got to talk to Google and have them start paying us. We need a sponsorship, us. a Google yeah, sponsorship. Google, Google, we need your sponsorship. Yeah. Um, Their search algorithms will now, uh, yeah. <laughs> will now yeah. show up on our timeline. We'll promote Google. Yeah. Hey, everybody use Google. <laughs> Like everybody does. Uh, I was looking at stuff about water pollution and stuff like that, just out of curiosity. Earth is covered about 70% in water, which people know. You know, that seems to be one of the main things that people know. 95% of that 70% is oceans. So salt water. Yeah. 3% of the world's water is fresh water. 2.5% of that... 3%. 2.5% of the 3? 2.5% of the 
is not accessible. It's in the form of polar ice caps, yeah. glaciers. It's in the soil underground that's too far to um, extract affordably, or it's highly polluted. Half a percent of the earth of, of that 3%, yeah. um, or half a percent of the 70%, I guess, is available as fresh water. So rivers, lakes, streams, huh. um, wells, like stuff that you can get from the groundwater that's reachable. Half a percent is accessible is fresh accessible water. fresh water. Wow. Really? Is, is, I mean, and that's the big thing. It's like the planet is covered in all this water and da, 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 da. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating because I don't know how many times I've looked, like constantly, like planning for trips, this, that, the other thing. You're looking at uh, Google Earth and, and or like satellite view and then the map view and you see just like we're just covered in lakes and rivers in Ontario, but right? Yeah. You're looking at North America. I know. Check out Africa. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Check out Australia. Yeah. But right? still, so, you think of all the accessible water that we have. Mm-hmm. So what uh, we're talking about? 03 percent is in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say a high percent of it's hmm. here, and well, I guess across Europe too. But it's fascinating as yeah. a percentage point. As much as much water that we have, fresh water, accessible fresh water. It's only a. It's such a fraction of, of a percent. That's on the planet. Yeah. That's crazy. Two main sources of water, fresh water, are the groundwater, which comes from underground. Yeah. And surface water runoff being rivers, streams, lakes, wetlands, reservoirs. There was another one that they talk about, um, snow and rain. Okay. As fresh water sources. Which turns into runoff. Which turns into runoff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it? Three, sorry, four inches of snow is the same amount of water as one third of an inch of rain. Huh. That's how much fluffier snow is than rain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you start looking at the pollution in the waters. Mm-hmm. Causes of pollution, municipal sewage, uh, industrial waste, agricultural pesticides, uh, cow manure, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Urban runoff, stuff like from parking lots and roads. We were talking earlier about um, them using salt on the roads in winter and all the salt then in the su- in the spring, or, well, and during the winter when the snowplow goes by, gets thrown into the ditch. Whatever the moose don't lick up yeah. runs off and becomes runoff. Yeah. And then soaks down into the ground. Yeah. Right. And that's all salt. Accidental leaks and spills. Exxon Valdez. Yeah. You know. Um, fuel leaks from a car. Fuel leaks from a car. Yeah. A tanker ship in the harbor or Lake Ontario. Yeah. Um, uh, pipe, an oil pipe, cross-country mm-hmm. oil pipe. Oh, breaks, yes, yes. That sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, gas or an oil rig blows. Yeah. That sort of thing. And household hazardous waste dumping, which is big. Oh, yeah, we'll just go dump this down the sewer. Huh. Right? Yeah. Uh, there are cities that um, the waste, when 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 it rains and floods and everything, 
all the sewer systems waste end up in the lake. Yes. I've seen that and it all just gets. It happens like, in Peterborough every year. Yeah, the waste runoff, sewage, everything right so in the big lakes. It, it Almost every year it happens in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And you get the uh, the sewer system, it ends up being dumped into Lake Ontario because it just can't hold the capacity because there's too much rain and it gets into the sewer system and it, it overflows and they dump a lot of it. Yeah. It happens in the on the Autonomy River up in Peterborough where the um, the rain, the runoff cannot, the, uh, this, the sewer treatment system can't handle the excess of rain and the flooding and uh, there's... There's some areas in Peterborough where they're sitting in the lowlands and and the sewer comes right up into their basements. Yeah. People, like it happens every five or 10 years in Peterborough where people's houses get a, like, you know, a couple inches of sewage in their, in their basements. And you think of all the places this is happening. Yeah. Right. Um, so just to give you an idea, one gallon or four and a half liters of paint or motor oil can seep into the earth and pollute 250,000 gallons. What's that times four? That's like a million, million liters of drinking water. Uh That's one gallon. So a a can of paint. Yeah. A million liters, 250,000 gallons of drinking water. A gallon of paint can pollute 250,000 gallons of water. Mm -hmm. One to 250,000. A gallon of gas, so picture spilling a gallon of gas out of your car on on the, when you're with your lawnmower, you dump it out in this, in the, your little lawnmower gas can. Overspill. Overspill. Yeah. So four and a half liters. um, So yeah, say, say you knock over your little red gas can sort of thing, four and a half liters out into the, onto your lawn sort of thing, seeps down, can pollute 750,000 gallons. Mm-hmm. That's about what? Th- that's over 3 million liters. So do they find, do they define the level of pollution? So is, does this make the water un- unusable, untreatable, unusable? That they or? didn't say. They just say it pollutes mm-hmm. it. But still, are you going to be wanting to drink water no, with I know, gas I know. or paint I know. or chemicals but like that? In all it? the stuff runoff that goes into Lake Ontario, and and so every community circling, for example, Lake Ontario, all the runoff and all the car leaks and all the parking lots where all your cars drop oil and all runs into Lake Ontario, like the the sewer, the the water treatment plants to make fresh water for the for houses. How do they get? Can they get all that out? Is that... Well, all the big filter systems and stuff. Plus, the lakes that are moving, whether it looks you look at it or not, it's, it is all yeah. moving, There's right? a big swirl. And it goes deep and the heavy stuff settles to the mm-hmm. bottom. So they're not sucking it right off the bottom where yeah. all that stuff's going to be. And right? I suppose there's a lot of... A lot of it gets... I know that uh, sunlight breaks down a lot of fuels. When mm-hmm. when there's an oil spill or a fuel spill on the ocean, they say that a lot of it is uh, is consumed or broken down by the sun yeah. by uv and uh and the churn if there's a storm the waves the oxygenation of the surface of the water that also breaks down a lot of the fuels and the spills and the chemicals but there's some that just will never go away like heavy metals yeah it's always going to be there well and you know we were chatting earlier there we used to my brother and i and his buddies used to go bowmanville creek and yeah. the Gan- uh, the Ganny and all that sort of stuff salmon fishing in the fall yeah 
And I mean, you're catching like these 20, 30 pound salmon mm-hmm. and they're saying, don't eat them. They've been in the lake too long and they're filled with heavy metals. Like, and they say it all settles in the belly, right? Yeah. Um, mercury and all these other chemicals are in these fish, huh. which then when you eat them, you get ingest, you. Yeah. right? So, huh. you know, so yeah, it, it is still in there. The High River in China. H-A-I. H-A-I, the High River in China. 1,329 kilometers or 826 miles long, measured from its longest tributary. Uh, It's only around 70 kilometers or 43 miles, and its basin has an area of approximately 319,000 square kilometers, uh, which is 129,000 square miles. That's a huge... That's a big area. ...chunk of of water. Mm -hmm. 54% of the High River Basin... Surface water is so polluted, it's considered unusable. 54% mm-hmm. is considered yeah. unusable. Drinking water. That's that's part of our f- half, a, half a percentage of drinking water. Where would a city like, like Hong Kong get its drinking water? It must pipe it in from elsewhere. Because I heard that Hong Kong Harbor is so polluted that- Yeah, they'd have to bring it in from elsewhere. It's completely unusable. And we, like, yeah, a lot of the pollutants are surface water pollutants, but- like, do they have to uh, go under it? Well, you wouldn't they, they would, do that. Well, even. it is salt waters, but the, so they could desalinate and stuff like that. But like, still, like anything that touches that water, like I hear this water is, is like corrosive. Well, what was that back in the day when was it the St. Mary's River caught on fire? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The stuff they put in. So stuff like that is why back in the seventies, the EPA rules came in about uh, about uh, pollutants, uh, like so certain chemicals on farm fields for runoff and mm-hmm. and factories and uh, companies that uh, dump their pollutants right into rivers and waterways. And so all, all of these rules, that's where they came from because back in the day, we were much less responsible than we are nowadays, right? Like we're obviously well, more really, educated. Yeah, and, and it was partly ignorance as well. You didn't it was, know. yeah. Now, I've never been able to find proof I've never been able to find actual documentation. Rice Lake is an extremely weedy lake. Okay. And I remember my grandfather saying that there used to be a fertilizer factory on the side and they used to have overflow and basically they fertilized the whole lake. Yeah. So all the weeds grew. I've never been able to find out if that was true or not Hmm. or whether my grandfather was just pulling Pulling the old leg sort of thing. Oh, this is why. But I mean, great fishing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, again- I remember um, in college, we, uh, friends, they, they went out, uh, water skiing on the St. Lawrence river. So St. Lawrence college is just near the Saunders, uh, hydroelectric project off of Cornwall, Ontario and, uh, Dom tire. There's a, there's a couple of factories. Dom tire is one of them. And he said that they would, they were water skiing. And at one time when they dumped, they fell in the water. It's like suddenly their skin was burning and itchy and they got out of the water really quick into the boat and they had a full body rash that lasted like a week or two. Yeah. Like whatever chemical they had fallen into the outflow from Domtar, they said it was, it was just a very, very uncomfortable, like, like you're being boiled type thing. It was all prickly and their skin just had a full red rash all over their body. So that's the kind of stuff that is released. Mm -hmm. So, and it's not like it's, it goes away just because you stop releasing it. It just dilutes. Yeah. 
And, uh, and that's when you get it. I, I mean, I don't want to go too far into the no. parts per million or we'll be here all, yeah. all day. Uh, but so why, why are we talking about this? Well, think about when you're out paddling for the day or on a canoe trip where you rely on the rivers and lakes as your supply of water, mm-hmm. right? Not only to paddle on, yeah. drinking, cooking, yeah. you know, your morning coffee, that sort of stuff. Sometimes you're on these trips and, oh, stop along this portage because there's a, 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 a spring with fresh spring yeah, water. fresh spring water. How do you know? Because it's coming bubbling up from the underground. How do you know all the, back in the day when the acid rain was happening, mm-hmm. right? You remember the acid yeah. rain in the 70s and 80s? Um, all that stuff's going down into the groundwater. Well, that groundwater is bubbling up as the spring water. How do you know there isn't chemicals like that that are yeah. not coming up with that fresh spring water? You don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to carry a science kit with you on a canoe trip, are you? Yeah, exactly, right? Derek. Hang on, I'm just pulling out my, my Mr. Wizard <laughs> science kit. My Bill Nye the Science Guy yeah. kit. Um, have you ever drank directly from a river or a lake? I have. So have I. But. You know, I'll, as I've mentioned before, I'll hold my Nalgene bottle as far down as I can and then let the lid off and then it fills up with water. Then I put the lid back on, you know, it's a whole arm length, yeah, like two feet or whatever underwater. And then I bring it up, right. And I'll mm-hmm. do it in the middle of a lake yeah. sort of thing. I've done that before. But when you start looking at all the stats and how things are going and the percentages and, and whatnot... Like I say, you remember acid rain back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets you thinking. Yes, about it does. all this, right? Yeah. So of course we bring our water filters, and this is where I started looking at stuff. Is because I was looking at the specs on water filters, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not going to get into the different company names and and water filter. We, we don't need to do that. Um, water filter when we're out there gives us a sense of security that the water we're pumping and filtering uh, is safe to drink. Mm-hmm. Or the tablets you're putting in it's gonna kill everything are going to kill everything or the UV light or however, yeah. whatever method you use. I was I was looking at um, the water filters because that's my, my method of madness here. You got to start thinking when you're looking at this, is your filter getting everything? And we know that they can't. We know they can't. Do we need to worry about more than the little parasites that are going to give us Giardia or beaver fever? It's one of those things. It's like, well, in the short term, I definitely don't want to get beaver fever. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that, so then the filter takes care of that. But then in the long run. Yeah. So going through the specs, certain things come up the same on all the filters. Yeah. Eliminates bacteria, protozoa, cysts, algae spores, sediments, reduces chemicals. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't get rid of them. It gets rid of everything else. It eliminates everything else. Yeah. But it reduces chemicals. Provides microbiologically safe drinking water. It gets rid of the live stuff. Features a carbon component that reduces some, reduces some chemical contaminants such as herbicides, pesticides, and volatile organic compounds or VOCs reduces some. Yeah. 
will not protect you from high chemical concentrations or heavy metal contamination. Do your best to avoid water sources such as mining, tailing ponds, or those near agricultural operations, which I think most people will. So it's easy to avoid a mine tailing pond unless that mine tailing pond bursts open and, and floods a river. Yeah. Which we've seen out west. And well, out that's BC. one of the big fears for boundary waters. Yeah. Right. But it, for as, as far as uh, as far as herbicides and it, it runoff from farmlands, like Ontario yeah. is covered with farmland. Well, and when we're talking urban, urban paddling over the last couple of years, you know, yeah. we're doing more and more urban paddling. Yeah. And well, even, yeah, when we went, to Trent Severn. Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah. the amount of places we passed where stuff could just filter in, like all the yeah. cottages and, you know, oh, yeah. somebody's changing their boat motor oil on their cottage <laughs> and it drips down, seeps yeah. in and out in. Yeah. Like there, there, there's so many opportunities for it to get into the drinking water. Absolutely. Right. And that stuff you can't filter out. No. Uh, it will protect you from harmful, mic- this is the part I like will protect you from harmful microorganisms that are 0.2 microns or larger. The anthrax bacteria, for example, measures about 8 microns and would be removed. So your filter will protect you from You're anthrax. not going to get anthrax, but you might get some heavy metal <laughs> contamination. Yeah. Anthrax. Anthrax, unless you like the band and like heavy metal, but uh, yeah. yeah. So this is, as, as you say, what about the future. Are we going to suffer long-term effects of pollution by spending so much time in and on the water as we do as paddlers? Yeah. You know, that's, that's my big, my big question here. My big takeaway from all this 50 years from right now, you know, when we're all, we're what? 102. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're sitting in that old age home. Yeah. Are we going to be sitting there, th- find, th- are they going to find out that, yeah, all that time you spent out paddling yeah. your butts off and then guzzling that water, yeah. that, that gallon of water at I, the end of a portage. And we exposed ourselves more than, but you know, you know what, I'm fairly confident that, so me getting out and paddling in the fresh air and drinking some water is better than staying in an urban environment or downtown somewheres where you're you're uh, inhaling all the exhaust from mo- from motor vehicles and so on and and all the pollutants that you're exposed to that is the higher risk so i'm going to in my mind i'm going to remain confident and comfortable that being out in in nature even though i'm still consuming some of these un- choose your poison sir exactly. choose your poison <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, just, just, just as a little ending thing here, like I say, this is more food for thought than, than anything. Cause it is something that yeah isn't really talked about, you know, like, oh yeah, it'll get rid of all the squiggly bits. So I'm not going to be I'm not, pooping not gonna, for the next week. Exactly. But you, now you start looking at all these other things when you start looking at the, you know, it, it really starts you thinking, you don't want to go too paranoid. Yeah. You know, you don't want to go total left field here, but as he points to the right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there was the, the ongoing theories, nothing's been proven, nothing's been disproven about the link between aluminum yes, and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that have come up before is aluminum cap cookware. Yes. So just to throw a little thing into it is my grandparents were big into the camping yeah. and they always had aluminum cookware. And both of them passed away from dementia. 
<laughs> so this sort of says, well, 50 years down the road, are we going to find out that this water we've been drinking through our filters? Well, if you read studies by the aluminum industry, they'll say that this is not a yeah. clear link. Well, that's why I say it's, <laughs> it hasn't been proven and it hasn't been disproven. Yes. There's, they've been fighting this for years. So, so just a little bit of food for thought. Have you ever had beaver fever? Never. I have. Never, ever. And when I went to Mexico way back in the day. Oh. And you're from the, from the minute you land to the minute you leave, you're doing nothing but drinking. Yeah. I was down there with about 30 people because we were at college, right? There was about 30 of us. Yeah. I was the only one that didn't get Montezuma's revenge. So you stuck with beer. No, no. Oh, I was drinking and eating everything under the sun. Oh yeah? Yeah. You just... Mind you, when I got home. <laughs> <laughs> it caught up with you. It caught up with me. So no, I've, oh, you had beaver fever last year. Last year. So yeah. we, uh, we did the meanest link and it was, it, it was, it was a rush. And so we were constantly, it was a go, 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 go. So mm-hmm. we didn't, we, uh, we used the, the drop in pills into the water bottle. But that doesn't stop, that doesn't protect you from the water that's on the rim of the bottle. That's the only thing I could think of my exposure was. So uh, I lost about five or six pounds on the trip just from all the energy output, all the calories burned. But about, uh, I don't know, about six or seven days after we got back, I was just getting worse and just kind of not feeling right. And then it just went hog wild. And uh, in total, I lost about 18 pounds. Including the five or six pounds over the trip. Like crap through a goose. Yeah, I was, I've never been so sick in my life. It was a horrible event. I've heard it's not a nice thing and I don't ever want to experience it. (laughs) It was not But I keep tempting. (laughs) (laughs) Great diet. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's take a quick break here when we come back. You've got a new drink. I do. Alrighty. Back in a moment. Hi, this is Derek Sprecht. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. Welcome back. So Derek, you do the Burt Reynolds Memorial River, Memorial Run. River Run. We've done our third annual this year. Right. It was and truncated and shortened. now you have found the perfect drink for that. I didn't find it. It was Scott found it. Oh, Scott found it. Yeah. And because it's Movember. It's, it's in honor of Movember and in honor of the most epic mustache of all time. The, uh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Good old Magnum PI there. So, anyways, gives him a run for the money. 
So these people at uh, wherever, they came up, they put together this. Cheers to happy hour. But there's also uh, the Instagram. It was whoever's Instagram. It was, I can't remember yeah. the. How was it? At cheers to happy hour. But there's another name of all too. Anyways, the mixologist something. Oh. It was the mixologist who mixed it. It was, anyways, it, it's, uh, so due to November in honor of the, of, uh, Burt Brown's mustache, they've, uh, this mixologist has put together his latest concoction and he's named it Burt Reynolds mustache. Dun, dun, dun. And so that just fits right into our wheelhouse, right? It's like, oh, so this is going to be now the official drink. We haven't tried it yet. Oh, the guy's name is Brenton. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there it is there. <laughs> It's I read faster than you do. <laughs> so, as an ode to the most iconic mustache the world's ever seen, the Burt Reynolds mustache was born. So, it's it's a, a mix of uh, vodka, rye, green chartreuse, uh, cardamom bitters, and it achieves an artfully labored libation that we're itching to try. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a uh, black vodka. I know. So it's it's so it's redemption rye whiskey, Hounds vodka. It's a black vodka. I don't even know what green chartreuse is. That's a color of a uh, spinner bait that you use when you're fishing. <laughs> it is a it's, bait color. It, it is, is a bait, yeah, is a yeah, bait color. Yeah. So you put a fishing lure in this. Yeah. The only thing on this list I recognize is lemon juice. Bingo, lemon juice. <laughs> I know lemon juice. Maraschino liqueur. Is that like That's cherry, cherry liqueur? Yeah. Maraschino cherry liqueur. Campari. I've heard of Campari. Yeah, Campari, yeah. And bitters, but cardamom bitters. Scrappy's cardamom bitters. <laughs> Because they got to be scrappy. So, and it's, we're talking like, you know, three quarters of an ounce of rye, quarter ounce of vodka, three quarters of an ounce of chartreuse, yada, 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 yada. So you mix everything together except the vodka. And then you pour, you you shake and strain the mixture over, uh, over the rocks glass. And then using the back of a bar spoon. So just like you're doing a black and tan beer, you pour the black vodka over the spoon so it doesn't mix readily. And then you give it just a slight shake so that it'll kind of drop in into, it's like a blended black top of the vodka into the rest of the drink. And then you garnish with uh, dried wild hibiscus. And so you get a a clear drink of ice at the bottom with a black vodka. And then on top is like this twisty stuff that looks like Burt Reynolds mustache. Burt Reynolds mustache. So it's uh, it does look like a good drink. But. It does look like a good drink. It sounds good. Uh, like I like the idea of the. So obviously, I don't haven't tried six these. bottles of whatever. Is I know to try one drink <laughs> first. That that first drink is going to be expensive. That's a two hundred dollar drink, sir. <laughs> <laughs> drink it, enjoy it, and yes. shut up. <laughs> so I can I can almost put together the flavors like the rye, the vodka. Lemon juice, obviously. Uh, maraschino liqueur. I can kind of picture what that tastes like. I know what bitters taste like. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Campari tastes like. I've never even heard of green chartreuse. It's like green and chartreuse. Chartreuse is a, is a green, isn't it? So it's a green green. I don't know. It's like it's some sort of flavoring like grenadine or something, I assume. I don't know. I'll believe you. <laughs> I'll go with you. I'll go with you, buddy. We've clearly not done our research on this drink. You just threw, <laughs> you threw this at me this afternoon. Check this out. Well, Scott just discovered it this morning. So, <laughs> and I only like what this afternoon it says where Burt Reynolds Memorial River and has our official drink. <laughs> so 
when Scott provides this drink for <laughs> yes. everybody next year. <laughs> yeah, Scott, you got to buy six different <laughs> bottles of booze. Wow. Okay, so I'm putting this invite out. I need one, two, three. <laughs> Do you know uh, who? Six people that have at least one of these. And gather together. And all six of you just bring your bottle over. <laughs> I'll, I'll provide the lemon. Yeah. <laughs> well, what? We'll make, Alan we'll Drummond, he does this, what are you drinking tonight thing? Oh, Alan, you got to mix this drink. You, you got a new drink to mix, buddy. I, yeah. I'm sure you've got all this stuff. He's got to have it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Alan, you got to put this together. I'm going to, I'm going to send this oh, recipe to we'll Alan. We'll be seeing him on Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Alan, you better be listening to this right now. Yeah. I'm going to, Alan, I'm going to forward this, uh, Instagram recipe to you. Yeah. And we'll do pictures. Yes. Of everybody drinking it. <laughs> and the face, the look of our faces going. Yeah. Eh! Yes. This would be great. Just so, and Alan mix this drink together for us and, uh, we will pay you back just as promptly as we paid, uh, John Van Berger for our coffee tasting, uh. Who? What? John Van Berger. Our, our, our what? Coffee. Yeah. Coffee tasting thing. <laughs> Work with me here, funny. <laughs> what, what, what? I hope he got his package by now. The <laughs> U.S. Postal Service. I, I sent some stickers out. Oh, this must be a month ago now. Yeah. And a, a thing to John. Yeah. And he, he still, still hasn't received it? it. Huh. So, U.S. Postal Service, get on the ball. Well, maybe your name is on a list. Oh, maybe. Could be. <laughs> Well, it was the size of, like, it was a giant two. So maybe they thought it was like a big joint or something I sent it to John. <laughs> maybe the, I'm sending pepperoni back. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, we'll have to try that drink. Yes. Uh, getting back to paddling here. 10-year-old kayaks, the Grand Canyon. <laughs> when you first sent this to me, I thought, that's a typo. No. <laughs> Kids in grade five. Yeah. Now, this, I like this one because... We're always about to getting your kids outdoors, right? I know, but doesn't this sound risky? Well, the mother, Polly, is an advanced kayaker, and his father, Tommy... Polly wants a kayaker? ...races professionally. All four of their, their boys grew up paddling. Um... So a Colorado fifth grader may have set a new world record when he kayaked all 280 miles of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. That's crazy. Bodie, I think it's Hillick. Of course his name is Bodie. Bodie Hillick, 10, joined his parents and older siblings for the 280 mile trip through the Grand Canyon via the Colorado River. Uh, his mom says, you know, it's just what we do. We're comfortable outside and we play out there. Which you got to think. I mean, it's no different than, you know, oh yeah, he grew up on motorbikes. You know, he had a little motorbike when he was five and now he's he's a motorcycle racer when he's 20 sort of thing. Right? Yeah. If they're doing this constantly, you know, like they're starting out on, on creeks and, and rivers doing their kayaking and, and build up. Since they were little kids. Because you're seeing pictures of kids on social media and you're like, what is that kid, five? Mm -hmm. And he's in his own little tiny kayak, right? Paddling already. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing all this stuff now. So getting the kids outside, getting them used to outside. You know this is what they're going to do for the next how many years of their life. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to become a part of them, which is what we need. Correct. You know? Uh, 18-day whitewater adventure had its shares of up and downs, though, because you know it's not going to be absolutely peachy. Mm -hmm. They never are. 
And uh, she says, that's part of kayaking, flipping over, having to roll back up. So I felt like our kids were totally prepared for this trip and well qualified to run those rapids. And I'm sure she says that because you know there's going to be people out there going, I can't believe you took a 10 year old kid. Yeah. You know what? If they've been training for this. Correct. If they're ready for it. You know, and it's the parent, the parents are the ones that are going to know. Like don't helicopter parent from another family. Yes. You don't know them. You don't know what's going on. Anyway. So you know what? Uh, Bodie says it was fun. I love the big waves. (laughs) So, um, they've actually filed paperwork with Guinness world records to have them certified as the youngest kayaker to navigate the length of the Colorado river through the grand Canyon. His dad says it was a pretty big deal. I just believe in him being able to make it all happen. And I felt that he had the skills. You know what? If I'm looking at my kid thinking, you know what? And you got to think, yeah. there's places they could call it off. Mm-hmm. And if they did not feel 100% at some point, mm-hmm. they weren't good. You got to think they'd have the, especially with, you know, dad's a professional racer, mother's a advanced kayaker. You got to think that they had Secondary plans yeah. in place. So there's a vein that runs through this whole story and it has to do right back to when this child was born. And so it was almost like he's been predestined for this. So obviously his parents are, you could maybe call them adrenaline junkies or whatever. And then you think to yourself, why would they pick the name Bodie? Hmm. Patrick Swayze, point break. Oh, <laughs> right. Wasn't Bodie Miller a racer or something as well? There, oh yes, there was a Bodie Miller. He was a ski, uh, downhill, downhill ski, skier. Uh, giant slalom and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I read Bodie, it's like, Bodie. oh, gotcha. <laughs> well, more power to the kid there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 10 years old and he's already doing stuff like that. Like I said, he's got three older brothers who aren't much older mm-hmm. doing stuff like this with him. So. Yeah. And you know what, like when you, when you're in that pedigree of parents who are, or, uh, you know, extreme sports racing and challenging events like that, it's natural that their kids are going to get into that sport too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm a professional, uh, couch surfer. So my kids are going to be just fantastic couch surfing. Right. So it's, it's they just got the Olympic gold medals all ready to go. <laughs> Couchsurfing champion, <laughs> yes. 2027. <laughs> but you can see where where the influence would come from, right? So it's it's going to be, uh, these kids are going to be, you know, doing like snowboarding, skiing and, you know, heli skiing. And you can see they're, yeah. they're predestined for stuff like that. It's their, it's in their blood. They're all in Colorado, right? So. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah. Good on them. I bet you they snowboard in the winter too. They'll be, they're, they're going to be Red Bull sponsored and. Rotten kids. They'll be in the Olympics <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, now I look at my parents thinking (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending them this article (laughs) and I'll be hitting therapy and blaming them (laughs) now you know what like I say I I like the fact that the parents are taking them out this young yes and challenging them in that you're not going to get a little snowflake kid with a participation medal just because you participated exactly right so yeah all right well good on them and good for the kid Mm mm-hmm uh, one last one and it's a biggie because we're going to continue on with our museum stuff. Yes. Cause we talked about the Canadian Canoe Museum last week. It's going to be hard to appropriately, decently cover this 
new this uh, topic we're about to discuss. So it's going to be everybody who's listening. It's on you to do your own research because there's, <laughs> there's way too much stuff too much. here. Yeah. We would need to do a two-hour show, right? Two. It's it's so it's <laughs> like when when Sean sent me the article, I started reading it, and I'm scrolling, and I have to start skipping a paragraph or two because it's like I've been at this for way too long. I got stuff to do, and I kept scrolling and scrolling. It's like, oh my god, how long is this article? And there's <laughs> videos, and there's webinars, and <laughs> <laughs> I can't read there's all this. Pictures, there's origami <laughs> you've got to do. There's games and. <laughs> Oh my God. But it's so fascinating. Just the little bit that I did read when I skimmed through it, it's there, the detail and what it's got to go to this museum. You got to go. It's, it's now, this is now one of my destinations that I've got to go see. And I was about 20 minutes when we were in <laughs> Maine. Cause this is in, um. Did they say how long it's running? Forever. No, they didn't say. It's probably um, short term. Yeah. Like, through 2021, well, they, maybe? Well, they say it's going to be there for a while because the museum's closed right now because of oh, COVID stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So they say when it reopens. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, you can do everything online. They've created, so they've taken this project and they've made it an online project so that mm-hmm. people can participate from home. And there, it's, it's interactive. There's projects for kids. It's it's really fascinating. Yeah, it's sort of like what we we discussed last week with the Canadian Canoe Museum. How there's a virtual mm-hmm. yeah. side of it. So so we've built everybody up. We've talked about it for five minutes, and everybody goes, "What are they talking about? Did you get to the topic?" So I'd like to thank everybody for listening this week. <laughs> <laughs> Explore Arctic kayaks virtually at the Arctic Museum. The Piri McMillan Arctic Museum in Bowdoin Col- on Bowdoin Col- College campus. <laughs> uh, I can't even say that. It's in Brunswick, Maine. Brunswick, Maine. Uh, there was or is a full-size kayak that's been displayed high on the wall of the gallery since the museum opened in 1967. And now, the, for the first time, the kayak is the center of attention at the museum's newest exhibit, Kayak, which is, did you say it was the Greenland? No, it's just a, a traditional back, traditional, it's traditional way of pronunciation. So it's not Greenland pronunciation. It's yeah. just the, the northern it's native. It's kayak with a J instead of a Y. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big, like a capital K is pronounced like a H, and then the J, and then the A-K. Mm-hmm. So it's Hayek. Hayek. Uh, the historic Labrador Hayek was an it was the inspiration for the exhibit, especially since staff recently uncovered the vessel's history. The f- now fragile Hayek was purchased in 1891 <laughs> uh, near Hopesdale, Labrador, by members of Bowdoin College Scientific Expedition to Labrador and presented to the college by its leader, Professor Leslie Lee. So it spent... 70 some years in storage at this college. And Mm -hmm. then in 67, they said, let's make a museum. And we'll hang this thing right up. Yeah. So yeah, so it's been, been there for over a hundred years. Yes. Uh, 130. Yeah. One section of the exhibit focuses on a full size replica of it made expressly for the museum by Nunat Siavit kayaker Noah. How did you say his last name was? Nachasik? Nachasik. 
Yeah, no check. We're butchering names on here again. We always do, and we apologize. In the video, he pronounced it. It sounds like. Yeah, Should I say it? no. <laughs> he, yeah, we, we Nuts, he, he pronounce it. Nucksack. 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 Uh, the local kayak builder Fred Randall. That one I can pronounce. Fred Randall. <laughs> Fred Randall. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. <laughs> the feature also, or the exhibit also features a variety of kayaks from across the Arctic, with many many highly detailed models from Alaska, Canada, and Greenland on display. Uh, do, 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 do. So when you go to, um, the exhibit, I'll give you the, the, where you can find it in a minute and we're going to post it on our Facebook page and whatnot. Um, there's a lot of, like, you'll find it and you'll scroll down and there's like Derek was saying so much information yeah. that you can find. And it's interesting information. It's not like you're going to go, oh, boring. It's fascinating. So a variety of tools, weapons used by a hunter in a, in the Hayek show how, how they were made, uh, shows how they were an integral part of the Inuit hunter's equipment. Uh, while historic photographs, motion pictures, films highlight the skills required to use these skin on frame boats. Um, it, it, yeah, there is a physical ex- exhibit. Unfortunately, yes. it's closed for now, but they've turned it into a virtual exhibit online, which you can go check all this and it includes additional media and family-friendly activities. And there are many exciting features to explore in the online version as well. The best part of putting this exhibit together was working with Noah and Fred as they created the replica. Mm-hmm. So as they were putting all this together, they were there creating this replica so they could see how it was done, um, filming parts and, and listening to them talk about how it was done and how it would have been done. And they use traditional techniques and tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go to the page, you'll find videos, you'll find articles, you'll find photos, diagrams. Historical photos. Yep. Uh, his, uh, activities to try at home, like folding a paper kayak. Yeah. It actually has an origami an kayak. An origami kayak <laughs> that you can fold, which is kind of cool. There's a recording of a webinar presented on October 20th uh, 2020 by internationally recognized kayak expert Harvey Golden. Uh, you can enjoy the discussion of the history of the Inuit kayak and the amazing diversity of kayak styles developed by Inuit from Siberia to Greenland. Uh, there is one, uh, along with all these different little things you can click on, there was one thing I clicked on and there was a pair of these steel skin mittens. And it's pretty interesting that they show you it had each each mitt had two thumbs. Yeah, and he's trying to figure out why. Well, they decide they just they just, they do a little thing. Well, how come it has two thumbs? I'm not going to tell you. You got to go there and check it out. They give you the answer, but it's it's like oh well well isn't that just yeah. smart? Um, you were looking at something on there. So yes, yeah, so uh, I was I read through most of it uh, and I gleaned a lot of the details out. So it, what what's interesting is they they discuss and describe the different designs across the north. So and there's different communities had different traditional designs. They all developed their own style of kayak. And I'm not sure if there was in like they're talking about back to like the what 1700s 1600s and so mm-hmm. on and and a lot of the designs really became developed in the uh, in the 1800s 
and, uh, and about the same time during the 1800s is when a lot of the hunting styles changed. They went from mostly spear to partially use of spear and, and, and rifles, carbines, and so on. And so it talks about all the tools and techniques, but what was interesting, what I found interesting, is uh, the different designs and styles of the kayak. So depending on the area where you lived, whether you have typical stormy weather where you have a lot of ice flows or whether you maybe you you have uh, you can't kayak for six months of the year because it's all frozen over. So they talk about uh, the, uh, the there's an Alaskan design and there's a Yukon design. There's a uh, a northeastern uh like uh, hudson bay area design there's a multiple greenland designs there's a north greenland design there's a south greenland design and so they talk about uh so for example one of the most advanced designs of kayak some of the like yeah i'm going to use the word technologically advanced but it's what they use but it's it's what they've developed over time to be a very efficient kayak uh smooth use very well balanced and so because greenland and the channel there it it doesn't freeze over you don't get a lot of ice flows so they've uh, they have you know year-round multi-year uh, development of the design of the kayak and the paddle and so on and the tools and uh and then some of the other areas like there's there's some areas where the uh there is a necessity to be able to get in and out fast because of changing weather and short seasons and so on so they they would only have open open water and seals in the area for short periods so they developed a a narrower um, a, a narrower design which is obviously not as stable and so they in that area they developed and learned uh, how to better they got really experts at uh, at rolling the kayak and so in rough weather you got to roll back up and so it was really interesting to see how like in the Alaskan design versus the Yukon design, one had a cockpit midship right along the the center line, and uh, and another had it uh, sort of further towards the stern. And it's just where the different areas have developed the designs for their own uses, right? So they they develop them independently of each community. And there was one community I can't remember where it was. It was uh, it, I, I can't remember exactly the location, but for or a period of like a, a hundred years or so they for whatever reason they got out of using kayaks and then there was a overland uh, uh, traveling hunting party that reintroduced the kayak to them and then they redeveloped the use of the kayak again independently of their first few designs and they ended up using the greenland design and further developing that so it's just it's really fascinating and look at the pictures and they describe the the shapes and the sizes the typical lengths and you know it's it's just so interesting like one of the things that kind of sticks in my mind right off the top is like you know they they had to have these elevated racks for mm. their kayaks so it would be like eight feet ten feet in the air and they had to keep them up that high because well they're they're, they're waterproof this the skins are seal skin and if they didn't keep them in the air the uh, the dog teams would chew holes in the kayaks and destroy them because the dogs wanted to eat the skins right so it's just it's so fascinating all the different stuff that uh dry land training uh, and dry land training exactly so they would uh Outside of the normal hunting season, they would uh, they would kind of make a rock outline of a kayak, and they would learn to throw spears from a seated position. So they would practice spearing because it's you'd have to know and learn 
to throw the spear from a seated position before you learn in the kayak because it can create instability issues when mm-hmm. you're when you're spearing seals and so it's it's just there's so much fascinating information about the development and creation and it all seemed to so all the five different communities all came so organically separate because they're all so geographically separate that it, you think to yourself how did five different areas five different communities create their own designs like is there is there maybe overland hunting teams that would over you know hundreds of years interact with other areas like i can see where the yukon and alaska would uh would interact and develop mm-hmm. their kayaks but how would hudson bay uh, uh and in, greenland and and greenland and the, so so Hudson's Bay, Labrador, Greenland are very geographically different from Yukon and Alaska. So you don't see those communities mixing. And if you've ever learned any of the languages, those languages are very diverse and separate. So there's to it almost think that they've developed separately in isolation. Mm-hmm. That each community has learned that we need boats, we need watercraft to get on the water. You know what I mean? It's so it's it's really interesting, and they also talk about the development of uh, of the uh, the kayak paddle, and uh, where you know you have limited resources for for large pieces of wood, so they're not going to have large blades. But these smaller, uh, like the Greenland style paddle, they they are basically just um, a, a tree that's you know, made thin in the middle for your hands. But it's not fun. the blade isn't very wide. But it's a very efficient paddle if you've ever used one in a kayak. So it's just fascinating all the developmental ideas of how everything came about. Well, even some of the the tools that they show that you wouldn't think of like the ice scraper yes so yeah in storms you'd ice would form on the sealskin cover of the kayak so they developed a, a a bone tool for reaching out and slashing and chipping off ice so that you don't become top heavy and and tip over right mm-hmm. so it's just it, there's so many things that they've developed over time and has become common tools and it's like it's all a lot of this history is there's they didn't have a, a written history so all this stuff is carried down word of mouth and so you know fathers would teach children how to build kayaks and so it's just all taught and there's there's not there wouldn't be any text or manuals it's no, all it's all hands on it's like here this is how you do this this is how you do that you know this for the ribs this is how you chew the uh, chew the wood and the branches to soften it so you can make a curved rib without fracturing it when you bend it and and so it's just it's fascinating how all these technologies come together to make this very unique watercraft, right? Well, the ice scraper has a notch at the end of it. I didn't read that part. There's a little notch at the end of the ice scraper, um, which was useful for removing harpoon heads from animals. Oh, reach in and pull it out. Yeah. Retract the harpoon head. Yeah. Retrieve it. Yeah. So yeah, there's some pretty cool. Now you read something about a handle on the bottom Oh, so, so I think it was, it was the, uh, was it the Hudson's Bay area where, so because of, because of the area where they were, there's a lot of ice flows. And so it would, uh, to preserve the kayak, so you didn't want to scrape it over the ice, each kayak would have 
a its own sled. You'd have a sled that you'd uh, you'd attach the back. So when the when you're paddling, it's attached almost like when you're canoeing. You have your little wheel dolly and you stick it to the back. So they would attach that there. But when you get to an ice flow, you put the kayak on top of it. And because of the need to haul the sled and the kayak over the ice flows and over the snow, they developed a hand hole in the nose. So it didn't expose any water in entry. But when you look at it, it's like it's almost like the eye of a needle at the end of the kayak. So they've developed a handhold, and just because it, it had to be, it, all of them, all of their designs had that in that area because they had to deal with so many ice flows mm-hmm. without the open water. So you had to get from one water opening to another water opening, and they just developed a natural handhold. So, cool. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's fascinating. It's all these little things that, yeah. and that's why, like I say, that's the sort of way this caught my attention here was. Just all these little things, and yeah, you just start scrolling down and scrolling down, and um, yeah, and, and I was like you, where I've just had to start. Um, okay, I'm just going to skip over this and see this later. Yeah. I'll go back yeah. to that. I'll go. Ooh, the bird spear, the harpoon, the throwing board, the lance, and all all this sort of stuff. And you're just okay. I'll, 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 ooh, I want to watch that movie. I'll go back to that yeah. later, and <laughs> you know, a sort another so a source of income for them too. That when so when a lot of the uh, like researchers and scientists started showing up in the 1800s and early 1900s. So what became common source of income for these northern communities is they would build these like six, eight, ten inch little miniature models and they're like per- almost perfect duplicates of their kayaks. And so this uh, these little models are now in this museum and so these are like 100 plus year old models mm-hmm. and so these communities just started building duplicates and you can see the little seal skin covers and the design and all the ribs it's like a, almost a perfect duplicate and you can see the seal skin tie downs and the little miniature uh paddles and it's uh a lot of these little miniatures are are like you know what would be like you know people have a hobby nowadays you build a little miniature model but this is was a source of income for them back in the day right yeah it's uh really fascinating when they a lot of work went into this that's for sure oh yes and they've they've really done a really good uh job on it um so if you, it's easier to Google than, than type out the whole thing. Yes. If you go into Google and type in kayak, K-A-Y-A-K, and Bowdoin, B-O-W-D-O-I-N, kayak, Bowdoin, um, or Bowdoin, uh, the very first listing will be bowdoin.edu slash arctic dash museum backslash exhibits, backslash 2020, backslash kayak dash ex- exhibition. <laughs> Just Google kayak. <laughs> kayak Bowden. Kayak Bowden. Bowdoin. Uh, yeah, Bowdoin. Bowdoin. B-O-W-D-O-I-N. Uh, like I say, it's the very first listing and it brings you right to the page. There is so much information there. Like if you're into kayaking, especially if you're into Greenland kayaking and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, and just hit the history of it all. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll really enjoy this. Uh, you're going to be spending a lot of time reading and, and watching and And if you actually do the origami kayak, send us a picture. <laughs> yes, I want to see that. Send us a picture. I want to see that because, you know, I'm going to do one and it's going to look like a fried chicken or something. <laughs> which, by the way, I can't do an origami fried chicken. <laughs> That's my claim to fame. Um, yeah. So... 
I think that's about it. You got anything else? I do not. You do not. Well, that is about it then. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, 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 <laughs> that's the new one, Spotify, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to our episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and listen to all 249 episodes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and anybody else that you think would be interested in listening. Um, that's all I got. So I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Dirk Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>